0: Welcome to the show. Here's my dad. On this episode of the Infinite Adoption Guide Podcast, we talk with Brittany Salmon, a mom of four, two through adoption, and author of the new book, It Takes More Than Love, A Christian Guide to Navigating the Complexities of Cross-Cultural Adoption. Hey, welcome back to the show, the Infinite Adoption Guide Podcast. My name's Tim Elder, a dad of three through Infinite Adoption. This is where we talk about Infinite Adoption. So if you're new to adoption or you've already started the adoption process, you may feel alone and overwhelmed and just confused and wanting some help and support and where do you find it? How do you get it? Nobody around you is adopting. Nobody can even speak the language that you're speaking when it comes to adoption. Well, I'm inviting you into a brand new adoption community that we've created just for you, just for me. People like us that can come together, meet each other, support each other, get answers to questions learn from experts, but especially doing something I don't know of done anywhere else on the internet. And that is putting together people into small buddy groups. This is where we get together in groups, small groups of five to six, seven, eight people on a Zoom chat or a phone call. So you can get rid of that loneliness, that doubt, that overwhelm feeling that you got. Like nobody else is knowing what I'm going through. We do. And you can find that in the Infinite Adoption Guide community. Go to infiniteadoptionguide.com forward slash membership. You can figure out how to get into our one of a kind community, be part of these buddy groups. They're powerful and they're built. We're building this this great place online infiniteadoptionguide.com forward slash membership. So thank you for joining me today. We have a great show. Brittany is here, author, a mom, a wife, a professor. Uh, she, uh, is passionate about talk, talking about adoption. She wrote a new book that we're going to discuss today and, and weave in some of her story as well. Um, I just love how she has taken the time to write this book, uh, and really share her advice, her wisdom, and you'll hear how she's, uh, her and her husband have started the process to adopt again, and we'll jump into the interview right now. All right. Welcome to the show, Brittany. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Love talking to authors, especially uh, authors like you who are uh, a mom through adoption. So we can't have too many adoption books. When I remember starting years ago, when we started our adoption process, I wish I had more adoption books. And there's been a bunch more that came into this. So I'm glad you took the time and the effort. I know it's an effort to write this book because I think it's going to be a great help to a bunch of people. So thank you for taking the time to share your story and share, um, your, your love for adoption and all about the book. We'll dive into that here in a little bit, but I'd first like you to share your story. Like, what did your adoption journey look like? Can you share how that came to be?
1: Sure. So my husband and I, um, when we were engaged, actually, we started talking about what it would look like to build a family, um, and I remember on one particular date, I shared with him the news that it was actually highly unlikely for us to conceive biological children. Mm-hmm. I had known that for um, from an early age, from my early teens on, that the likelihood of me conceiving children was unlikely. And so from the beginning of our marriage, we had just kind of decided, well, we're not going to pursue um Fertility treatments, just not because there's anything wrong with that. We have many friends and family members who have, but we just felt you know what we can do? We could adopt instead. We felt qualified. We felt like we could equip ourselves to do it. um and and so it's something that we became really passionate about and pursuing. However, <laughs> two years into our marriage, we were very shocked and surprised to find out that we were pregnant with twins.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, yes. we were shocked
1: to find out we were pregnant. And even more so (laughs) to find out that um, there were two in there. And so um, our girls, Felicity and Noel, they were born prematurely, uh, about a month, or they were born at 31 weeks, um, spent about a month in the NICU. And when we got on our feet after that, a few years later, we looked at each other and said, you know, I still feel very called to this idea of adoption, that Mm -hmm. um, there was something that we had learned about, we had um started, you know, kind of prepping our family for this step. And and we thought, you know what, let's do it. Let's let's continue to grow our family that way. We wanted to have a bigger family. And so we thought, hey, um, why why not us? And we kind of went through those questions of why not us? Um, do we have the capacity, the ability, the bandwidth, all those things. And at the end of the day we decided, yes, let's let's pursue adoption. And so that's kind of how what our journey to adopting mm-hmm. looks like.
0: Yep. And then so when you st- started the process, did you jump in with an agency or how did you, did you do an independent adoption?
1: And so we have with our two sons, we have domestic infant open adoptions. Mm -hmm. And so we were a part of a local church that had um, a large, what they call an orphan care and prevention community, which means that there are people involved in um, all different ways, whether it's foster care, adoption, international adoption, maybe birth mom support, a single mom support, any of these sort of ways you can get involved in. And so we just started kind of exploring the different ways. We actually initially started out pursuing international adoption because that's what a lot of our friends mm-hmm. were pursuing. Um, but we had a a dear friend who lived in a, about an hour away and she was partnering with a local agency um, to adopt a child domestically. And she kept saying, hey, we have such a need for families who are willing to um, adopt domestically, but who are also maybe don't have like a really long list of things that you're unwilling to accept, if that makes sense, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's medical needs, whether it's a wide variety of things so there's a need right now. And um, so we said, hey, you know what, we can do that. So we just kind of slowly started exploring and then Switched paths and partnered with that local agency, and um, adopted our first son Jude. And again, it was a domestic infant open adoption, and so we have a, a great relationship with his with um, his birth mom and um, a few members of his first family. And then a few years later, we 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 actually moved not long after he was born. But we moved to Texas, and we partnered with another agency very similar to our our first. Locally, and we adopted again um, domestically an infant with an open adoption. And that was Zeke, and he's now two years old. And Aww. we're actually home study ready for our third adoption, but for our fifth child. So we're, we're in that, that that waiting phase right now.
0: Congratulations! Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. You're 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 starting the roller coaster again. Yeah, you know, I think uh, all over
1: <laughs> again, all over
0: again. <laughs> I know what that's like. Yes. Yes. Well, that's fun. That is great. That's, uh, so you're living it as, as you're, you know, writing the book and, uh, raising kids. And, uh, now you have the book out and, and getting out there the folks. You're still, you're still living through it. So that's awesome. I'm, yes. That's great that you're doing that. Talking about the book and the book read, read it myself and it's a great read. It's, it's called, it takes more than love a Christian guide to navigating the complexities of cross cultural adoption and you got so much good stuff packed in here that I mean it's it is a it is an easy read. The thing I love about it the most is that anybody that's considering adoption or after you even started the process, there's good stuff in here that is important for you to understand and read, even if you're not necessarily gonna do a transracial or cross-cultural adoption, because you talk about things that Go, uh, uh, over all of adoption. So what do I mean by that? Well, adoption language, you talk about the complexities of it, Of, of you talk about open adoption. Um, but the, the thing it, that anybody that is considering adoption, I think is really important, is as you're going into it, you have to make the choice. Do you want to be a family that is considering transracial adoption? This book is going to help you big time with that consideration and you should consider it. Um, so I, I'm glad that you wrote this book because it really is going to help a lot of people as they're starting the journey and even afterwards. And I love, I mean, you got so many quotes in here I've highlighted and pulled out, but I think this one's really cool. How you just say being an adoptive parent's hard enough and, but when your family is multiracial, it gets even trickier. Parenting transracially doesn't come naturally, nor does it just happen with time. Love is essential, yet by itself, love isn't enough. Cross-cultural parenting also takes intentionality, listening, learning, growing, repenting, changing, then starting all over and doing it again. It's hard work. Yeah. I I love that, and I'd love you just to kind of expound on that a little bit and talk about why that, I mean, it seems like that may be the reason why you even wrote the book. Is that true?
1: Absolutely. That's absolutely it. So like you, when we first started our adoption journey, one of the hard parts was I was looking for a resource. Mm-hmm. I was looking for resources that could equip us for this. And I, of course, there were some books out, but there were I could not find any mm-hmm. that equipped a family to prepare for cross-cultural or transracial adoption. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, it' was one of those things where I, I wanted it to be an easy read. I wanted this book to be easily accessible to a wide variety of people and hit on a lot of topics. But essentially, I wrote it because I I wanted this resource. I wanted the resource that I wished I had. And I wanted this resource for other families Mm when they're considering, praying through, trying to figure out, or even just if they'd already have, saying, all right, we're in over our heads here. What's the next best step? Um, I wanted to have a resource out there for families.
0: Yeah. And and why it takes more than love. I mean, I think I talked about a little bit in that quote that I just read. But why it takes more than love.
1: When we were coming up with the title for this book, um, I, I initially, actually, this rarely happens in book writing industry. A lot of times the title gets changed and tweaked, and it, and it was tweaked. But my first working title was called More Than Love, mm-hmm. and we switched it to It Takes More Than Love. And one of the reasons why that this was such a foundational idea is that I think so often in the adoption community right now, um, or and, and I will, I'll actually say, probably, let me correct that, not right now, but probably the last decade, the last two decades, um, we have heard a lot of flowery, flowery, beautiful language around adoption. Mm. Adoption is beautiful. Adoption is love. Adoption, um, you know, all you need is love and, and love makes a family. And those, here's the thing is those things are not false statements. They're true. They can be beautiful, um, adoption does take love, but those things left by themselves without any other maybe caveat or saying hey, you, it, adoption is beautiful, but also there are some really hard aspects to it. Mm-hmm. Um, adoption is also birth from trauma. And so yes, love makes a family but if you are going to adopt and adopt transracially specifically it's going to take just more than just loving a kid um, to raise them and to give them a, a healthy identity and to work through some of the trauma from their adoption and so yes love makes a family but also it takes more than love and so i wanted to title the book with something a little maybe a little flashy but to say hey Adoption's awesome. Obviously we're an adoptive family. We're pro adoption. Um, at the same time, it takes a lot more than just walking into this blind and thinking, we're just going to welcome a kid into our home. And that's that we're done. Um, and so after the adoption finalized, there's so much more parenting, um, and specific parenting to adoptive families that needs to take place in order for children and the family to thrive.
0: Yeah. And, and as you've said, uh, I wrote this down. So I'm assuming it was in your book and not on your website, but <clears throat> you said our family stands out because you say you go to the grocery store, you, you can't go and even go to a grocery store without someone stopping and asking you about your kids. Cause you have two identical twin daughters, with bright blonde hair and piercing blue eyes, and then you have your two kids that you've adopted that look completely different. And I'm sure every single person looking at you go, "Oh, what's up with that family? What's, what's, going, on yeah, what's going on here? What's going and, on here?" And and yes. and the more bold people will go, "Hey, what about your uh, what's going on with your family?" And so I'm sure you have to take a lot of time answering questions or not. How do you how do you typically handle that when you walk in into a grocery store and you get all that?
1: It really varies. And, and I will say there, there are a wide variety of responses, mm-hmm. but my there are a few things that I keep in mind when I'm out in public. The first is um, my kids are always listening. Yep. Um, and not just my children who are, joined our family through adopted, adoption. But my biological children are also listening. And we are teaching them also how to respond. So mm-hmm. however I act, however I respond, I'm also modeling a way for whenever my sons are in school and they're like, wait, you're and my son, who's African-American, says, wait, you're black. Their friend says, you're black. Your mom's white. What's going on there? <laughs> that way he yep. has now, he's seen me yep. navigate this and, and not get flustered or not get super angry or, mm-hmm. or the times when I needed to draw a firm line and say, hey, no, absolutely not. This, you cannot ask that. This is private information. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, the first thing I always keep in mind is my kids are always watching. And I'm modeling their behavior for them. And I am not responding in a way that is to put any stranger at ease. I'm responding in a way that protects my family and equips my family for the future. And so I filter my responses, you know, it's depending on the person, whether their intentions are good or bad or whether they're just being nosy or, or they're genuinely curious and caring. Um, My first filter is, Hey, my kids are listening um, and I'm teaching them. And then based after that is I'm going through and saying, all right, I can give, um, I I can brush it off. I can shut the conversation down. Um, or I can educate them in a way that, that still protects our private information that is none of their business, but also says, Hey, this is, you know, this is, yes, we're an adoptive family. And, um, thanks for your curiosity. Have a great day and turn and walk away. Mm -hmm. And so, um, in the book, I actually think I give A list of my responses based on various scenarios because what happened was when I first became an adoptive parent, I would go into a grocery store and somebody would say something and I would either be so mad at myself after leaving for the way I responded because it was either too harsh or maybe I said Mm -hmm. too much or not enough or maybe I didn't protect my kids in the way that I should, but I would just get flustered. And so I was like, you know what? I need to have some key phrases that I have in my pocket that I have practiced, that I know that I have rehearsed at home and can say, and then, and say this quickly to somebody else and then turn and walk away, um, and to try to get out of a conversation or to try to shut something down in a gracious way that doesn't cause a scene in the middle of the target grocery line,
0: you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, and that's the key and that's the beauty of the book is, uh, you have to think about those things before you get into those circumstances because you might say the wrong thing or you might feel bad about what you said afterwards and you might not have handled it as gracefully as you wanted to. So I, I really like that. Yeah. Chapter 10 in your book goes through a lot of that, the, the responses and things like that that you've thought through really, really well. And you tell some good stories, uh, in that, that kind of shape how you've responded and and why, Uh, So that's written really well and that's a great part of the book because I think even before you adopt if you think about how you would respond you know you're in that just kind of picture yourself in that situation where okay yes we've adopted transracially and we look different and how am I going to respond and am I willing to respond and am I willing to do uh, protect my children and protect my family and protect their story every time we walk into a grocery store or, or or am i ha- willing to have those kinds of conversations and educate especially my friends and family who yeah. may you don't know how we're going to react um, how did you do that with your friends and family did you prepare them before you adopted and saying hey this is what's going to happen here's how we are building our family and here's we we want to talk to you about that did you sit them all down with that or how did you handle yeah. this
1: We did. And, you know, it was really fun. I will say at the beginning, the first time is we got a couple of adoption books. Mm. And again, they were, they were more like, why are we adopting books? They answered Mm. the question of why the need for adoption. Um, And that's, and, and, and so one of the things that I wanted to do with this book again was this is for adopted families, but also you, an extended family could read the whole book, but they could also just read. I have a chapter specifically for um, families yes. and communities, communities supporting adoptive families, because I wish more than anything we didn't know what we didn't know at the time. But I wish I could have given my my family and said, "Hey, we're going to enter into this journey, and we want you to lock arms with us and to walk with us in this journey as aunts, uncles, grandparents, etc." And here is a quick, you know, ten page chapter that you could read that would really help us um, just kind of create a better ethos in our family um, that, that kind of celebrates the culture of adoption and also, but also equips you to not only celebrate, but to also acknowledge some of the hard things that we're going to have to mm-hmm. face. Um, and so what we did at the time was we we kind of ignored the hard things part and we were like, hey, we're going to adopt and everybody in our family was on board and they celebrated. And they were excited and they understood that transracial adoption is complex. But none of us actually, I think, fully knew how complex until we got into it. And so um, some of the things that we have done since is just, just even just when it comes to racism and have to have certain conversations of like, hey. Racism is it, it is a real thing that you will face and that your children will face, and so it needs to be understood not just in our immediate family, but also in our extended family and community. Because we're not going to take our kids into spaces that are where racial bias or race, race racism, explicit race, racism, can also exist. And so, having those conversations on the front end and um, kind of inviting people into the journey along with you is really helpful um, but I'm also hoping that this book helps save some families from the mistakes we made along the way and save some extended families from some of the mistakes they you know our families have made along the way and so um, it' it's, it's a it's a one of those things where yes it, this impacts adoption impacts your immediate family but if you um, are close with your extended family with grandparents uncles aunts cousins, Um, it really is a communal thing because you're adopting a child just not into your family, but to your whole family. And you want to make sure that those spaces are spaces where your child can be known and loved and can thrive fully for who they are.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the chapter in the book is called Adoption Allies. I mean, that's a perfect way to put it because uh, you have to have people around you that are allies and uh, maybe not everyone will be. Uh, but if you can give them this book and have them pass it around or buy several copies and have them read that chapter, that's huge. Uh, for them just to understand what you're going through or your child's going through, and you get pointers in there of, of exactly of what to, what to say or not say. I mean that's yeah. that's perfect. That's what people need to to hear. and I don't I don't know if there are hardly any other books that go through that, that that someone outside of adoption but but that knows somebody close to them that is adopting can pick up and read and go, Oh yeah. Okay. I understand that. That makes some sense. So I'm glad you wrote that chapter. That That's one of the most powerful ones in there. I think that everybody can use.
1: When I think honestly, a lot of people want to learn, mm-hmm. you know, I think that was the thing is there's so many people out there in your church communities, your teachers, mm-hmm. there are people who say, who come up to us regularly. I'm sure it's happened to you say, Hey, tell us what we can do to help. What, what would be, what would be helpful here? And I just wanted somebody to say, hey, all I want you to do is read these 10 pages. <laughs> and, like,
0: that's it's it. not that hard. Yeah. Just, read this.
1: just read this and pray through it and yeah. see if any of it even applies to you. And 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 I really do believe that, you know, people are, you know, pe- people can, can figure out what is the, the next best step for them after having read those yeah. few pages.
0: Yep. Yeah. But I, that's a big, it's a big chapter to to. To get and to read and share with others. Um, uh, yeah. let's just go through your book. You go through all, all pretty much every aspect of transracial or cross cultural adoption, but I wanted to ask you why you chose the term cross cultural rather than transracial.
1: So, cross cultural, um, when we got into it, actually, that's one of the things I did. The, the initial title did have transracial adoption in it, mm-hmm. um, but as we got further along in, we realized, well, transracial adoption is only discussing adoption that um, where the set of parents and the child, their ethnicities are not the same and it's visible. So it's a different race, different skin color. But the reality is there are a lot of adoptions that take place that are cross-cultural that where you still have the same skin tones, but the same thing and the same content still needs to be applied. So a child who is adopted internationally, um, let's say it's a white American couple adopting a white Russian child we still need to honor and respect and um, learn about their first culture. Mm -hmm. And so what we quickly realized is that, okay, so this instance here, I'm talking about transracial adoption, but over here I'm talking about international or transcultural adoption. um, And it's still same race technically, because we're just talking about skin color here, Um, but this content still applies. So what is a good term that can encapsulate both um, international same race, but then also Um, Transracial, whether it's domestic or international and cross-cultural is a term that we just we just settled on that We've seen in other adoption literature, but it really does encapsulate both ideas. Well
0: Definitely. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense um, Because it does you a lot of people adopting in different ways and different and different races and different uh, Yeah cultures. So that does make sense and you it's all about honoring and respecting and teaching (laughs) really the adoptee uh that their heritage their background their where they came from is important yes Uh, and that's what that's what i love more than anything about your book uh you, you talk about uh holding space for both joy and sorrow in your home can you give us like a practical example of what that looks like in your family
1: sure that was i will say making space for joy and sorrow both to exist um it was something that I wasn't prepared for the first time we adopted. Um, I went into the hospital room um, where my son was after he was born, and I went in with his first mom and um, to meet him. And when she left, I remember thinking, I should be feeling only excitement mm-hmm. about our son, just like overjoyed to meet him. And I was overjoyed to meet him. I was like over the moon, <laughs> just already smitten. He was just adorable all the things. But also in that moment, grief, yeah. grief curled up in the room with us as I did not ignore, but I acknowledge the fact that there's a woman who left that room um, with empty arms and it wrecked me. I mean, I mean, Tim, I mean, it wrecked me. Mm-hmm. I remember just sitting there um, holding him and crying silently and just thinking, man, what a gift it is to be his mom. God, I'm so sorry. It has to be this way. Like I was just, I was just tore up inside, and it took me a while to reconcile that I can be thrilled and overjoyed and celebrate um, this new life in our family, while also acknowledging and making room for sorrow, his loss, her loss, um, the loss, um, in, in over the years of just even you know first birthdays of milestones of going. I'm so as I'm snapping a picture and texting it to his first mom. There's this. I'm so thrilled to be celebrating my son's birthday. At the same time, I'm really sorry that this, this that she's not here for. It. And and in open adoptions can mean a variety of different things, and we see them on a regular basis and do different things. And we we have some friends who have open adoptions where their kids' first families come to their birthdays and celebrate those milestones, and we hope to be that one day. Um, but right now. They're just not ready for that yet, and so we have to respect and honor that, and we have to make space for both joy, celebration, excitement, um, respect for one another's stories and different different perspectives of the stories, um, but then also loss, grief, heartache, missing first family. Um, Mother's Day is another practical example. On Mother's Day, I am not placing all my expectations on my children um, to not have any negative feelings And so when it comes to Mother's Day, I welcome whatever celebration we get. At the same time, I make sure to create space in our family where I go to, especially our our oldest son, um, say, hey, if you are missing your first mom today, um, I want you to know that's okay. And you're allowed to do that. And if you're not, that's okay, too. Um, But there is space for you to be sad that you can't see her today. And I, we just want to make space for both to exist. I don't want to push Mm -hmm. sorrow and grief on a child. I don't want to push celebration on a child. I want to let them show up in their own place in the journey and just walk with them in that. But we've got to make sure that there's kind of space for both to exist because that is adoption. It's both and.
0: Yeah. And that walks right into the topic. I want to, you already mentioned it, open adoption and what that looks like and, uh, you do a good job of explaining it in the book. And even in the back, you give just your full definition of open adoption, which is great. I think it's a lot of people coming into adoption. Don't understand it. And it might be scary. I know it was for us when we first jumped in. I'm like, what in the world is this? Is this co-parenting? Is this, and we talked a lot about it on the podcast, but I would like you to share. It's always more powerful to hear stories of people that are actually living open adoption because adoption doesn't end when the baby's placed with you absolutely, for a lifetime. And you already mentioned the joy and sorrow and that comes in open adoption and making space for that and making space for their first families. That's open adoption. And it doesn't have to look the same for everybody, but I'd like you to talk about a little bit more about what open adoption looks like and might look, might look like in the future for you. I mean, you, you can't Know what the future is going to hold, but you know how you might react.
1: Yeah. Well, I think one of the things we have, I will say, every open adoption is unique. And I can say that because we have mm-hmm. two open adoptions and they are very different. And, um, but both are so precious to us. And I think if you had asked me before we started the domestic adoption process, Brittany, what are your feelings towards open adoption? I probably would have said that seems scary. Mm -hmm. Um, that seems scary. I'm not sure what that looks like. Um, kind of like you said, are we co-parenting? What does that mean? Um, but as our story has kind of unfolded, we went into a hospital thinking it was a closed adoption and we were so grateful that for in a period of 48 hours, it went from closed to fully open and, um, so it was a fast and furious shift for us. But once we met our son's first mom, um, her story and our story became intertwined. And I didn't want to let let that go. Um, I had such an immense amount of respect for her, an immense amount of respect for the decisions that she was making, for her courage, for her bravery, for her story, her unique story. And um, what I knew deep down in that moment was, I want our son, hers and mine, I wanted our son to have access to his heritage story from her. I wanted him more than anything in this world to be able to ask her questions about, you know, medical questions, about um, her personal story, about kind of his origin story even. And I wanted wanted that relationship and I knew that from the moment I met her. Um, And what we, have done and have always said is we're open to open adoption, but we let the first moms um, and the, and the birth moms decide what that looks like to them, whether that's seeing each other, whether it's not seeing each other. We, again, when we left the hospital, it was, she and I would communicate, but we're not going to see each other in person. Six months later, we got together and at a local Chick-fil-A and sat and while she held our son again. And so um, I I think there's just got to be some flexibility in in a little bit of being okay with not knowing how it's going to turn out, but knowing that you are for her, that you're for her success, that you're for your shared child's success, and that um, you guys together can create really good boundaries. And that's kind of what we did. And that's what we decided for um, our first open adoption. For our second one, it was a lot more um, interpersonal because we were matched really early on. And she wanted um, significant contact. She wanted to know our family well before she placed her son into our family. And so we spent a lot of time with her while pregnant, while she was pregnant. And I've spent a lot of time with her um, since as well. And we live in different states, but she comes out and visits. And um, it's it's been just different. And, and it's, it's, I think that's the thing that I think adoptive families go into it. And I was the same way. I wanted to know exactly what it would look like. And the truth is every time it's been different and I'm assuming this next time it will be different as well. And that's okay. But the goal is for, is to always honor your child's first family and their first stories. That does not mean that you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you have no boundaries. Um, But in agreement, in this partnership with um, birth moms, you two get to decide what is in the best interest for the child Mm -hmm. and what is in the best interest for them as a mom and as a birth mom, I'm not a birth mom, but also I'm I don't like to speak on the rap. I can say from our children's birth moms, they have always placed the best interests of our children, um, first and foremost. And so, um, we kind of view that as a partnership there and we do all the parenting, you know, I don't, I don't really ask them questions about parenting. We don't do any of that. Um, and they they don't overstep their bounds at all in that and they've always respected that and so i've been really grateful for that and that they have always been um super complimentary super saying hey i love the way you parent i'm going to write this down you know for this or hey that's a really you know good idea or hey I, thank you for responding in that way and so we we i don't we're really fortunate and i i don't know um when I know a lot of horror stories, I've heard a lot of horror stories, but that's just not been our case. And so we have loved our experience with them. Um, And our third, our third adoption might be different. I don't know, but we're so grateful for our son's first families and for their willingness to kind of stay connected to us.
0: Yeah. I think it starts with your, you got the right approach and how it starts with you are open to having that relationship with your child's first families you respect them you love on them you kind of leave it up to them to have the relationship grow while you still have the ability you're still parenting you still have the ability to to set boundaries if needed i think that's the most important thing as is you're is anybody's going into an adoption is to have that i don't want to say empathy but thinking about their first family and what's good for them and good for the your child because now like I said before, adoption doesn't end when that baby's placed with you. That first family, no matter how much connection you have with them, no matter how much you want to talk to them or visit them or anything like that, they're always going to be part of your world, your family. And if yeah. you come to it with that kind of an attitude, I think things will work out much better than you hope. I'm not saying you'll never have problems, but I think if you come with that kind of an attitude, it's it's a great it's the best way to start, especially, you know, for your child and open adoption doesn't have to be scary. If you have that kind of a, a mentality towards it, because ultimately when you're thinking about adoption and you're pursuing it and you're, even when you're creating your adoption profile, right? And you're putting yourself out there and you're like, Oh, what do I put in there? That's going to be so, uh, so magnetic and, and pull, pull this expectant mom in that wants to choose us. Well, she just wants to know ultimately her child is loved, cared for, protected, all those things that she may not be able to provide. And so, and yeah. they, that was pretty evident in what you just were explaining in your stories there, too, is that um, they, changed, they changed their mind, didn't want to have visits. And then six months later, she's holding him again. A uh, Part of that, I'm, I'm sure, is that she wanted to see firsthand that, yes, he's being taken care of and loved. He's happy, happy healthy, uh, all the things that she wanted for him. You're right,
1: it's not always easy. Um, but I will say, even in some of the hard moments of our open adoption, because I, I want to be careful and honor some of these stories well, um, I do want to encourage adoptive families. The first response shouldn't be, hey, I'm cutting you off. The, the first response should be, how can we problem solve together? So here is something that made me uncomfortable. and. And communicating that clearly and then working on a problem solving solution so i'm not saying that our open adopters have never had any sort of conflict right, uh, right however i will say what i have found is when we approach each other with mutual respect <laughs> we can problem solve together um, because we are so for our kid
0: yep and that goes no matter if you are adopting cross-culturally or transracially does you know, that, that that happens yeah. no matter what Um, um, if you could go though back in time now and give yourself a piece of advice before you're adopting, and maybe it has to do with open adoption, but what what would that advice be if you had to give yourself advice before you started the adoption process?
1: I think my, my biggest piece of advice to, I guess, (laughs) younger me would be to never stop learning. Hmm. So one of those things was, you know, I read a lot before we adopted and then afterwards, Um, I kind of, I feel like I took a break and part of that was I just think you're in, you have a lot, we had a lot of kids who were little and, um, but the, the goal is to never stop learning and always be willing to read a different perspective than you listen to adoptee voices, listen to birth mom voices, try to read and listen and learn as much as you can. And, and to not feel like, to tell myself, you don't have to have it right, right now. You just have to be willing to grow. Like you don't have to have... You don't have to know it all. You don't have to have it all down. You just have to be willing to continually be humble, to pursue adoption education, even years after the fact, and um, be willing to change. And And that's okay. We don't have to be perfect. Nobody can be a perfect family or perfect parents, regardless of whether your children are adopted or they're biological. As parents, we're always growing. We're always learning. We're always seeing how we can do better. And and that's okay. And so I think I would tell my younger self that because I think I was so worried About getting it all right from the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, that I was maybe paralyzed for a little bit, Um, but um, thankfully, you know, through God's grace and through community and friends and different people and various voices I was listening to, I kind of got brought back into this kind of realm of education and learning a little bit more.
0: Yeah, and one kind of common theme throughout your book is, uh, and you have a whole chapter dedicated to it, was is adoption. It's not about you. <laughs> I love that yeah. because it's yes. so true. I mean, it, everything that we're just talking about with open adoption. I mean, in it's it's about your child. It's about your their first family. It's about yeah. all of those things, and that's your common theme throughout the whole book, which I love. That's that's exactly right. And anybody that's not adopted yet, uh, wow. Well, even if you have adopted, it's that's a very important to concept to grasp. It's not about you. Uh, I think people outside of adoption look at it and go, oh, you, it was so great of you to adopt and uh, you're so, yeah, (laughs) yeah, you're so blessed to be able to adopt. I'm like, well, yes, we are, but it's not about us.
1: Us at all. Yeah. And I think when we get that twisted, that's actually when a lot of harm can happen. When we make things about, I mean, but that's in every aspect of life. Mm -hmm. When we start making our marriage about us, when Mm -hmm. we start making what church we go to about us, when we start making life about us, it's our selfishness starts to poison the thing. And so I think it's such an important lesson, especially for adoptive parents to quickly know you are not adopting a child to finish your family or to complete your family. Um, that it's, it's not to complete anything in your life. Um, that is not a good reason to adopt at all. And so there are a variety of reasons to choose to adopt, but making it about you is not one
0: of them. (laughs) Yeah. And to to reiterate that point in your book, I love how you have spots in your book where you have an adoptee voice, like some, an adoptee actually writes, you know, part of uh, spaces in your book about from their perspective on certain topics. I mean, I I just love that. I mean, all of us need to hear too, how adoptees actually (laughs) feel, how it actually, what things, uh, how things have happened to them as they've grown up as an adoptee. And that's such a big part of your book. I love that.
1: It's it's actually my favorite part of the whole thing. Yeah, being honest, I could see that. it's the parts that other people wrote and reading through. And honestly, a fun fact is, I didn't give them topics to write on. Oh. I said, "Hey, I want you to share pieces of your story, whatever you feel comfortable or led to to share." Here is the word count, and mm-hmm. um, we'll see what comes in. And it was amazing. That like I didn't have to tweak any of the topics. It all fit into the book perfectly. And I didn't even give them an outline of what I was writing. <laughs> they knew the, the they knew the title and they knew my goal. And um, they came up with their essays all on their own. And I love wow. I love them. They're, it's my absolute favorite thing.
0: They, um, the they did a great job. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is that is probably my my favorite part as well. <clears throat> Do you have any words like of advice or maybe encouragement for adoptive parents maybe who have uh, um, children who are starting to, to grow up like me? <laughs> my kids are like 15, 9, and 5 now. And they're learning a little bit more they' you know, as they grow up, they learn more about their story. Um, and they know it takes more than love, which is what your book is all about. Do you have any advice or encouragement for us, uh, as, or for people listening that are when their ch- children start to get older, what does, uh, and they're learning about it, it takes more than love. What kind of advice or encouragement do you have for us?
1: Well, my first thing I want to say is I, I think sometimes as parents, we, we, it, At least for me personally, I'm quick to to kind of fall into that like shame trap, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, oh man, I wish I I wish I'd done this differently, or I should have, could have, would have, should have done this. And um, the first thing I would say, my biggest piece of advice is, um, do not let shame keep you from moving forward. Mm. Don't let it be a weight to moving forward. And so, if you are just now going, my eyes are just now opening to this, and I wish I had thought about this when my kids were toddlers. Um, what I want to say is just welcome. Uh, you are welcome here and you're welcome along this journey and your journey is unique and, um, and special all of, of its own because all of ours are. And there is no shame in showing up and saying, you know what? I'm late to the game, but I'm here. Let's do this together. And so my advice would be to don't let shame hold you back, but rather let conviction serve as a catalyst um, to press in and to keep learning and to make the changes now. It's never too late to change that. It's never too late to sit your kids out and say, Hey, you know, I probably should have had this conversation with mm-hmm. you many years ago, um, but I'm going to have it now. And I just want you to know that I'm sorry for not bringing this up earlier, but I love you. I am here for you. If you have any feelings about this um, and we're going to learn together as a family and it's going to be awkward and it's going to be quirky, but we're going to do this together. I'm here for the journey. Um, there's, there's no shame in that, that, that's, that is a brave, courageous thing to do. And so don't let shame keep you from doing hard work, but rather let any conviction that you have serve as a catalyst to kind of say, all right, what's my next best step here? What do I need to do next? What change is doing to make it our family to, to better equip our kids and walk with them in this?
0: Yeah. I love that. Not, not so focusing on the past or what you did or didn't do. Right. What are you going to do today? What are you going to do tomorrow? How can you help your kids in the best way possible? And, and, and they're going to have questions. I mean, learning, like you said before, I mean, learning is key. They're going to have questions. They're going to ask more things. They're going to, you, you should try to be as prepared as you can. Uh, but give yourself some grace. Yeah, I like that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That and find an adoption informed form counselor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That, That's right.
1: So... so. <laughs> That is my biggest piece of advice. Forget the shame and
0: find an adoption forum counselor. <laughs> that is a great point. Yes. Yes. Uh, we all need that. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, your, the subtitle of your book is A Christian Guide to Navigating the Complexities of Cross-Cultural Adoption. Does, does somebody look pick this book up or, or as, as they're listening and they just go, oh, well, I'm not Christian, so it doesn't apply to me. I don't need a Christian guide. What would you say to them?
1: Um, you know, it's. A, I love this question. I think you're the first person who's asked me this. Um, it was a conversation we had when writing this book is I, I'm partnering with a Christian publisher. And it's obviously I'm a person of faith. And so mm-hmm. faith largely informs my perspective. It, it is why I do what I do. Yeah. It informs how I look at the world. But I wanted this book, even though um, it is faith based, for some of the practicalities, you don't have to be a person of faith to learn about race-conscious parenting. You don't have to be a person of faith to learn about trauma-informed parenting and how to not have a savior complex. Those things are still applicable today. And I, I wanted to, to say in the book to people, hey, my faith informs this, but you're still welcome here. Mm-hmm. And you can disagree with my faith and you're still welcome here. And I will say the last few chapters of the book become a little bit more, I think the last two, explain my faith a little bit more and and how it kind of, how I view the world, but up until the last two chapters, I would say the majority of the content um, is really applicable to anyone, and even the last two chapters—they're they're maybe a little more heavy on the faith, um, but you can still read it and say, "I'm not a person of faith, but I can be on board with this." Yeah, um, absolutely. And so it's it's not only for people of faith or for Christians, um, it but it is largely informed by my faith practices.
0: And it's produced by a, by a Christian publisher. Absolutely. I would 100% agree with that after reading the book is if you're not going to get slapped in the face with your Christianity, <laughs> that's not what uh, what you're about. And uh, it's – but you do express your faith, which is beautiful uh, throughout the books Thank too. You. So I, I love that part too. So I I think it was just very very well written and uh, I highly recommend it. Anybody listening to this, so much more that we could unpack in the book, but uh, I think you just get it and read it and share it, like we said, with others, uh, in your friends and family circles, and and those who maybe you may know that maybe considering adoption, uh, it's it's definitely a must read for that and uh, the. The last thing I wanted to just ask you is where can folks connect with you? What, where, where can they find your book? Where can they connect with you?
1: Um, you can find my book um, on Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, any place where you can buy books online, you can get my book. Um, but you can connect with me online. I am most often, I'm, I should say, most active over on Instagram at Brittany and Salmon, um, but also at my website, which is BrittanyNSalmon.com.
0: And we'll have all those links in the show notes for this episode. So you don't have to write them down if you're driving and listening to this. <laughs> yes, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that, please. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us. Uh, it's it's a great, great book. Great. And your your stories that we through all the book are, are fabulous, too. It just makes it a really quick and easy read. And uh, like I said before, a must read. So I think anybody needs to go out and grab it. And I just really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all your uh, stories and wisdom with us.
1: No, thank you for having me. It was, it was my pleasure.
0: All right. Great interview with Brittany. Oh man, so much good stuff. Good wisdom, good advice, uh, good things to think about. I highly recommend going and checking out her book. It takes more than love a Christian guide to navigating and the complexities of cross cultural adoption. There are links in the show notes at infinite forward slash 99. Is this is the 99th episode. You can find them all there and um, get the book and share it. I think even getting multiple copies of the book and sharing it with your friends and family is, is important, or at least passing it around and telling them to read the, the chapter on adoption allies. That's is, is huge. And so, before we go, I wanted to just remind you that we've got this wonderful, amazing community that's just building and building, and it's called the Infinite Adoption Guide Community where you can join and just learn about all of the things in the adoption process, chat about them and getting very specific. You can get out of these Facebook groups that are fine in their own right, but you kind of get dumped into this f- three, four or 5,000 member, a big support group. And you don't even know what to ask. And you may have asked the same question that somebody asked a week ago and you didn't know they asked that. And you're just trying to find some information, somebody that could help you and support you. As you're learning about adoption, you want to get into it, or you're already adopted. Uh, adoption doesn't end when the baby's placed with you, too. So this community is helping you all the way through the process and beyond. And it's called the Infinite Adoption Guide Community at infiniteadoptionguide.com forward slash membership. Jump in there. If you have questions about it, you can just email me directly at tim at you want to know more about it, but on that page, it'll explain everything there is to know about the community, especially our exclusive small buddy groups that get you personally connected with four, five, six, seven, eight other people that will help hold your hand as you hold their hand and learn and grow and know what you need to know and, and find other people that are doing the same thing you're doing, going to building your family through adoption. So thank you so much for joining me today. We'll talk to you next time. We'll number 100, our episode next time. It's going to be a very special episode. Hope you can join me and I'll talk to you later. Until then, you are in my prayers as you go through your adoption journey. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to my dad.